I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm George Norrie, and welcome to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone. This is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Now please sit back and enjoy Dark Becomes Light with Heidi Hollis. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Listening to Dark Become Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome to my show. Remember, each week this is the place you go to when you want to learn the latest in mysterious encounters, holy encounters, cryptozoological encounters, and if you or someone you know has experienced anything out of the ordinary and you want to share, you want to learn, or you want to comment, or you want to ask anything, go to my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Give as much detail as you would like, because the more details, the better. And I mean, we open up the floodgates for anything and everything out of the ordinary, because it's important to paint a picture of what is going on And what is possible in this world? I mean, how else are we going to learn about this stuff unless we break down these stories? And I mean, if you got photos, I get a lot of people who say, how do I submit photos or drawings? Just write me at HeidiHollis at gmail.com. How about that? Or through that website as well. And just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it up. I'll take it. We'll look at it. And you know what, you guys? You are in for a treat today because I have one of the world's top researchers on the Shroud of Turin. That is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. There is an image of a man who was obviously crucified, and it's been studied for a very long time, but then it got tested for the time period from which this cloth came from. And it was shown to be that this was actually dated not during Jesus' time. And people are like, it's a fake, it's a fraud. No, 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 no. If you've kept up with what occurred after that conclusion, it was shown that it was tested from a repaired section of the shroud. How did they come to that conclusion? Well, Joseph Marino knows because he and his wife are responsible for that conclusion. So you guys, you've got to hear this story because it's amazing. The story on the Shroud of Turin is not over. It is absolutely unexplainable what occurred here, how this image of a man was impressed upon this cloth. Much more testing and much more work needs to be done. And Joseph Marino, he's going to tell you all about it and his story, because uh, it's something you've never heard before. And I know you're going to enjoy him. He's really, really insightful and, wow, mind-blowing stuff. But to begin with, you guys, I got a couple of your emails. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, I am going to read these things off here, and I grab them randomly. I want them to be short, so I look for short ones. And uh, totally, I never read these things beforehand. I really try not to. Um, <laughs> and, and just di- dive in so you get the raw me when I'm checking these things out. And um, you just never know what we got. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. All right. Okay, so this first email. 
It says, Dear Heidi, I see every evening black orbs and shadow lines in my room. Hmm. I don't know what they are or what they want. Harry. Oh, hey there, Harry. How's it going? Uh, That's interesting. I I don't get many people talking about the black orbs. Um, I personally had an encounter that wasn't very pleasant uh, myself. And being that shadow beings are connected to aliens um, and vice versa, I mean, it's... It's hard to exactly say what these things are, but I could tell you what they have done to myself. Um, And I've heard from others, too. Um, They seem very alien because they are perfectly round, right? And they can form rows. Uh, They can operate together or solo, right? And, uh, but they're black. I haven't seen them personally shapeshift or anything like that, but I'll just tell you what happened. Okay, I I know it's of it here on the program, but I think it was a while ago. Um, so this one night I was sleeping on my couch. Okay. I was watching television. Uh, my college roommate was in the next room that kind of opened up to the living room right there. Right. So I'm sleeping and I hear my friend scream. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, and I wake up and I am floating up towards the ceiling And there was this big, big black, like, crack in the ceiling. It's so weird. It was like an interdimensional looking thing, right? And I was like, wow, you know, and I wiggle free and boom, I am dropped from the ceiling onto, it's a futon. It wasn't comfortable, okay? Boom, onto the futon. And I literally scurried and I'm crouched and I'm looking up at the ceiling and it, all in the room, all in the room, the living room, and, and, you know, the TV's on and it's like lighting up these black orbs. Okay. And oh, I get chills. And they're just like floating in the middle of the room. And then they all floated up to the ceiling. Right. And, and like lined up like perfect little rows and, and the crack closed and, and these, these black orbs started to fade away. Right. And, and my friend and I were both crouched down on the, on the ground and we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can still see them. I can still see them. And, and we didn't even want to reach up to turn like the light on to, you know, get a better look. We're just like too scared to raise up uh, because they were, some of them were still gathering up onto the ceiling and, um, it, it was, it was weird. It took a while for them to like settle and fade, but we could still see this outline, like a kind of transparent outline of them. And uh, we finally just, you know, we as they faded more, we got the nerve to flick the light on and was like, what in the heck? It, it seemed like they were transporting me, um, creating a interdimensional crack of some kind, like pulling uh, time apart and um, creating this rift to yank me through. It was really odd, and it had a negative vibe to it, very much like shadow beings would, but also mechanical, um, spying even. So um, to say exactly what they are, I've heard of glowing orbs that would take people by surprise because it would be like, I don't know what this is about flying parallel to the ground, going at a very fast speed, or being like these little orby things that kind of hang in the night sky and have a look uh, at people. And and people feel like they're a probe, like, you know, they're too small to actually house an entity in there. But I mean, we have drones, right? We have drones where we can use a camera to spy and stuff. So You know, maybe these things are kind of like that, but they also seem to have this ability to open up doorways, okay? Um, Also, when you think of uh, the orbs, the the ghost orbs that that people show, it it shows up in a lot of of photos. They have been known to spin and to open up portals as well, okay? Um, There's great imagery out there of photos of these things doing that like they get together and they pull energy together and they they're able to do things that gives you the heebie-jeebies from head to toe oh yes it does um (laughs) so I hope that's helpful for you Harry I mean I I'm not uh psychic or, or guru but um 
you know, there, there seems to be that there's a pulling together of energy with these things. So personally, I would bless my space because um, alien or not, if you don't want them there in your home, then they shouldn't be there. You know, clear the air. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to get to this next one. I don't want to run out of time. Okay, this is another short one. All right. And this one comes to us from Robert. It goes, hi, Heidi. I know I've lived past lives. was wondering if my one true perfect love partner from my past might be again walking this earth and searching for me. Hmm, that's cool. That's a nice warm, fuzzy thought. I like that. Also, I believe animals, pets also come back into physical form. But I hear stories of people who come across over to heaven and meet their long lost pets. Uh, How long do people and pets stay in heaven before they once again take earthly forms? Oh, that's a good question. I like that one. Oh, Robert. All right. Um, You know, I'll tell you, it's like I personally, again, I'm not a psychic, um, but I've had people come on this program and I wish I could remember names better than I do. But there was a researcher that came on who was an expert in reincarnation. And uh, he said in Asian countries and other countries who um, believe in reincarnation, like outright, like, I'll see you soon, you'll be back, you know, the proven cases of reincarnation were, it was just a few months, like, like six months, I think it was the average or something like that, of of people, past loved ones, coming back into human form. Isn't that something? But Western cultures, you know, us people who have these thick skulls who don't like to believe in such things as reincarnation, it's years, sometimes decades. Isn't that something? So, because we think that we should wait for others on the other side. That that was literally said by this researcher that we believe that, well, I'll see you on the other side. It's like, well, shoot, now I got to sit here and wait for you to come so we can have a conversation when I could have been reborn already and been your, <laughs> been your baby or something. And, and it's interesting how they interchange and switch it up like that. You know, um, you know, one time you're your brother and sister, another time, your, your cousins, you know, it's, it's really, really interesting, uh, the patterns and stuff. So, um, I, I think it's fascinating that you know that you've lived past lives. A lot of people question, you know, the validity of that, or if you're saying that you would say something like that, but, uh, it was taught before in the Bible. I mean, it's there. I've spoke to a monk not too long ago who said, well, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, um, John the Baptist was Elijah reborn. It's mentioned right there. And it used to be taught in the church. Well, kumbaya, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm glad to know that. But for some reason, Western cultures just don't address those things as much as they once did. But um, we are greater than we are allowed or led to believe, you guys. I I don't know why that is, but never question the human potential. and, And also know that God made us the way he did for a reason. We're not perfect. We're flawed. We're meant to fall down, get back up come back again and <laughs> recycle it happens but i think that there's something that's capturing souls and that is hello hat man that is stopping the natural progression of our days and times and uh, you know what his time is coming to an end he likes to call himself satan well he's gonna play that role and get thrown in the dungeon and kept there all right you guys you guys stick around because we've got a fabulous show coming up here with Joe Marino. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, iHeartRadio, and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We'll be right back. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. As promised, I have a fabulous guest, Joseph Marino, who has a BA in Theological Studies and is a longtime Synthenologist, who is one who studies the Shroud of Turin. He has research, written, and lectured extensively on the Shroud since 1977. He became ordained to priesthood in 1994, becoming a Benedictine monk as a result of his interest in the Shroud. In 1997, Marino received a call from M. Sue Benford, who informed him on her spiritual insights about the Shroud. After many discussions by phone and emails about the Shroud and other spiritual matters, he began to experience God in a whole new way. He felt powerfully drawn to leave the monastery to pursue shroud research and other spiritual paths with Benford. Marino believes that if the shroud can be shown to be the burial cloth of Jesus, it would be an interesting archaeological object. However, he believes that it's more important for the spiritual message it can bring, most definitely. So I am excited to introduce my guest, Joseph Marino. How are you doing today there, Joe? Good, Heidi. How are you doing? Fabulous. I am always trying to follow and keep on top of the latest research when it comes to the Shroud of Turin. And it's an honor, honestly, to be talking to one of the leading researchers on this. And uh, But your background is so diverse. I mean, you want to tell us a little bit about how you became uh, the person you are it, it, as you are currently, because it's, it's quite the story. Well, I... Um... Grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, I was born and raised a Catholic. I was the youngest of five, and um, I was um, very into uh, sports, both playing, officiating, following professional teams in St. Louis, that sort of thing, and kind of thought at some point I'd, you know, they they always kind of recommend do something that you like so you don't have to work a day in your life. I thought, well, I'll do something and in sports probably uh, wasn't quite good enough to be, you know, professional athlete. So, you know, you start thinking about being a writer or broadcaster <laughs> or that sort of thing. And, right. I, you know, so I, you know, did a, did a broadcasting class at uh, in college and that sort of thing, but it's, it's not as easy as it looks, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, true. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was into, 
into music a lot. Just uh, I don't didn't play anything. My my dad was a musician, but but he didn't leave many me any genes to to learn how to play an instrument. Um, <laughs> so you know, I like the Beatles and the Moody Blues, and I still do to this day. Gotcha. Still, there's still my my two go to bands. And um, so I, out of, after high school, um, I went to college for two years. Um, after two years, you know, you have to start declaring a major and that sort of thing. And still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, I had kind of become, you know, an agnostic like many people in those days in the 70s. And I guess that still happens today, of course. So I got a, a job with the federal government um, working full-time for the, the Veterans Administration. And um, things seemed to be going okay. I played, I continued to play uh, basketball after high school and that thing in men's league and whatnot. And um, I was kind of sick of academics after my second year of college. And so I took like a three-year break from reading anything academic and I pretty much only read the sports page and the comics. Gotcha. And then, yeah. And after about three years of that, it's like, Oh, you better start getting on the ball. You're in your mid, I'm in my mid twenties. You know, I got to get, get going here, you know? So. Quite a um, background uh, having so yeah. many different varied interests, music, yeah. sports, and, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're digging into this uh, theological uh, life. I mean, how'd that come about? Well, I I thought, you know, I I can remember so clearly um in 1972 the the uh, national collegiate championship uh basketball championship was in St. Louis that year. Um I just watched it on TV and I thought, isn't this great? And then it it's like I heard this voice almost exterior voice say to me or, but it was really me saying to myself, isn't there more to life than basketball? <laughs> but I still didn't do anything with that for about three or three or four more years after that. But, and finally I thought, you know, I, I, you know, I'd thrown off my, my Catholic background, but I thought, you know, I, there's gotta be something to, you know, in religion or philosophy that can give me more meaning to life. So I started with a clean slate and just started reading anything about philosophy and religion, even non-Christian religions. And um, I remember in 77, finally, about five years after I graduated from high school, when I'd go to a bookstore, I'd always go to the philosophy and religion section. And I saw a book with a kind of an odd face on the cover and it said is this the face of jesus christ um and it was a book about the shroud of turin which i had never heard of even though i had uh, gone to catholic school i mean we, we learned about veronica's veil which is really a legend it's not in the bible but supposedly some lady named veronica had uh, had a cloth and she met jesus on his road to Golgotha and, and pressed the linen to his face and it and it, supposedly she got an image and, you know, long story short on that, that's probably a story that was invented to explain that there was a linen cloth with an image on it. Now, the story, both the book and the, the story of Veronica only deal with a face, but the Shroud of Turin actually has a full front and back image. You know, he's about six feet tall. So you see the full front image and you see the full back image because the cloth is like 14 feet long. So the, the body was presumably laid on, you know, one half of it. And then the other longer part of the, the, uh, the cloth is big enough to fold over so that it covers fully the, the front and the back. So I took that book home that night and read it in one sitting. And I want to tell you, I was just fascinated. Um, there wasn't a lot of evidence uh, back then. I mean, it was the cloth was fairly well known in Europe, but not really not in the United States. I mean, there were only a couple books available in the United States, a few articles here and there. Um, but based on the evidence back then, and that was only about a year, year and a half before the 
a group of American scientists called STIRP actually went over to Turin and studied it for five days. And after that is when we got the big explosion of information that we, we still deal with today. But based on the, the scant evidence, what uh, relatively scant um, at the time, I thought the cloth that had a good chance of, of being authentic. So, um, you know, I looked at the bibliography and started, uh, you know, looking for articles and more books and, and, and things and started keeping a collection. And, um, you know, I started out with about seven articles and I thought, wow, look at this collection. I'm getting, it was virtually nothing. Today, I, I probably do have one of the top one or two personal English language collection of, of shroud materials in the world. Wow. So my whole basement is, is practically a shroud museum. Absolutely divinely mm-hmm. guided, it sounds like. I mean, just like this was not popular in the United States and and it inspired you like down to the core. That's Yeah. It it, it just totally changed my life. Um it actually helped um it, it was a vehicle for me to actually come back at least temporarily to my, my Catholic roots. And within about three years, I joined a monastery um, in St. Louis, where I managed to survive for 18 and a half years. Um, That's amazing. 18 and a half um, years. (laughs) But I I don't regret it because what happened was um, in 1997, I received a call from uh, a woman from Ohio. And um, she said that she claimed that she was having these um, interactions with Jesus and stuff. And I'm open to that. I mean, you got to be careful. You can't, I mean, you can't accept at face value when people say those things. But you, you got to investigate it on a case by case basis. And she sounded normal. She didn't sound crazy. And um, so we started talking on the phone. She said she had survived childhood cancer and um she was a weightlifter and um but we we know we had we talked on the phone about spiritual things in the shroud and we kind of just you know made it a connection on the phone and um she was she said she had seen a program on the shroud on tv and she wanted to learn more and um I, you know, we, we continued to talk and she actually sent me a, a picture from a, of an article that was written about her in her hometown of Columbus. She had, she was running two businesses out of her home. She had two young kids. Um, her, her husband had left her a couple of years before that. Hmm. And um, so she sent me um, an article that, that had a color picture of her in it. And, you know, I had no idea what she looked like, how old she was, but we, you know, we just had a good uh, kind of spiritual connection right, right off the bat. And when, when she sent me the article, I opened it and um, I, I can remember my exact words, which were, uh Oh, because here was this <laughs> much to my surprise. Here was this young looking vivacious woman, which, did not match to my, you know, she said she had survived cancer. She was a power lifter. And that picture of, of her just did not match that at all. <laughs> Another life-changing <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, we got to get to our next break, Joe. We're going to be right back to finish this because this is amazing. All right, you guys, don't forget to go to HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Tell me what's on your mind out there. And tell me what your thoughts are about the Shroud of Turin as we continue. Continue our conversation with Joseph Marino. All right, you are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, iHeartRadio, and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stick around, we'll be right back. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded. The Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. 
experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I have Joe Marino, and he is telling us all about his really inspiring journey, uh, going from a sports-loving, (laughs) music-playing, I'm sorry, enthusiast. You wish that you could play something. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But you didn't inherit that, and then you came across uh, this mother of two, single mother of two, who has this uh, fascination with the Shroud of Turin as yourself, which is a Sue Benford. And uh, it, you're you're impressed by her photo and knew you were in trouble, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was. I that's yeah. The uh oh just came out, and it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And uh, you know, when you make a a connection on one level with a person, and then you add another, you know, big level like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you you kind of know off the bat that things could cook, you know. Yeah. Well, how do you say Benedictine ben- monk? Benedictine monk, yeah. Yes, that's um that that's that's you know, surprising. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it surprises a lot of people, but you know, from uh more recent research myself and looking into uh various topics, I've found that there's a lot of former uh, nuns and priests who, you know, start another life, you know, as one phase of their life and they move on to another. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did things, uh, uh, progress between the two of you? Well, um, she, um, actually asked if she could come out and visit me and, um, you know, she did. We, and we eventually even met with my, my personal spiritual director, who was a diocesan priest. Um, and uh, I still, uh, when I go back to St. Louis, usually every Christmas I get together with him. And um, he was impressed by her, too. And, you know, he was in, uh, advising me to be cautious. And I, I think I was. And Sue came out several times. And, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very long before I thought, you know, and she, we were connecting really a lot on the, the shroud level in terms of wanting to do research and stuff on, we had ideas for research and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, 
so she came out several times and it, you know, even by, say by the second time I was, uh, I already began to think that, you know, I could be in for a life change. Um, and just weird things started happening. Some people call them God winks. Some people call them synchronicities, but I want to tell you, I just, for uh, almost every day for about a year, uh, strange things would, would happen that seemed to me seemed to, to be drawing us closer together. And, um, eventually I just, my heart and conscience, even though it, it, it surprised me as much as anybody else, my heart and conscience began to tell me that I actually needed to, to leave the monastery and, and, and be with her. And uh, that's what ended up having happening. And, um, I never regretted it. I mean, it was tough. Um, you know, I had expected to, um, be in that monastery for the rest of my life and everything. But, in, and, and I remember the, when I was, when I kind of reached the stage where I knew that I needed to do that, I, I went to see my, my spiritual director by myself, Father Tom. And I said, you know, he, he was kind of supportive of it. And I was really kind of hoping he'd come up with a, a reason that I shouldn't do it. Cause I was kind of apprehensive about taking that step. And, um, so eventually I, I, I knew I had to do it and I've never regretted it. I mean, I eventually, I lost Sue to cancer in 2009 and, but we ended up doing really, really significant shroud work that we would have ne- never been able to have been, to have accomplished had we st- stayed apart. I would say, so, honestly, I mean, I, you and Sue did research that saved shroud research um to to continue to this day i mean uh i, I wish that uh, our, my show was longer sometimes that we could d- dive into uh, all the details but tell us about uh you know how that came about because so you you are so well published and you're so well researched um when it comes to the shroud of Turin and yourself and sue uh quite the team it, you uh, it, tell us about some of the, the articles that you put out and and how you helped you know, turn a, a lot of heads and and minds about uh, you know where the research should go. Okay, um, well that STIRP team that I mentioned in 1978 they studied the the shroud for five days around the clock, and um, their main mission had been to try to figure out how the image got on the cloth, and uh, they had. The best science and technology available at the time, they had guys from NASA and uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory, Sandia National Laboratories. I mean, these guys, and there were a few women on the team. I don't want to give them short shrift, but, um, you know, a lot of the scientists on the team built bombs and, and put, helped put men into space. So I mean, these, these were bright guys, you know, but they couldn't figure out how the image got on the shroud. So the evidence seemed to be pointing that it was an unnatural um, event of some kind. And it had all the wounds. The man on the shroud has all the wounds that, that the Gospels describe as having happened to Jesus. So there's that big Jesus connection. And Sterp concluded that it was not the product of an artist. Okay, they didn't they didn't know how it got on the cloth. So from 78 to 88, you know, the world was above uh, buzz with the idea that the shroud was probably authentic. And then in 1988, the church allowed a carbon 14 dating, radiocarbon dating. And that's a whole story in itself. I wrote an 800 page book on how things got screwed up with the test. And uh, I put additional entries after the book was published and those are available online on my on my academia page there's just tons of information that things were just royally screwed up um but the bottom line was that the the three labs said that the shroud dated to 1260 to 1390 ad which means obviously that would be too late to have been jesus's cloth and by that time, I had been studying the shroud 11 years, 
And I just, I just sort of knew that something had to be wrong with that C14 test. And I wasn't sure at, uh, at that time. So once I got together with Sue, um, at one point, um, I, I came out into Ohio in, in 1998. So about another 10 years passed after the C14. And, and during that period, everybody was saying, oh, you know, the shroud was a fake and this and that. And I guess it was around 2000, year 2000, Sue got one of her kind of spiritual insights and was told that the, that the uh, area where they took the C14 sample from was a repair. So since I had such a great collection, she had me get out some of the better pictures of that corner and we started looking at it and stuff. And we thought we could see some um, ab abnormalities uh, in that area and different kind of the weevil would look different in places and stuff like that. So we took some high quality um, photos and she, she literally took the photos to a, a tailor downtown in downtown Columbus. He was a French, uh, a European trained um, tailor. And she showed him the picture and didn't, did not tell him that it was from the shroud. And she says, what can you tell me about this photo? And basically he said, um, well, it looks like there's been some manipulation in the area. And we thought, ah, that, that sounds interesting. So then she sent the same photos to a couple world-renowned linen um, uh, companies, one in, in um, Ireland and one in uh, Albany, New York. And again, we, di we didn't tell them that it, that, it, uh, that it was the shroud, so they were blinded to it. And each, each of those two also independently said in you know, different words, that basically that there was a, a repair of some kind. So we had three independent uh, textile experts who were blinded to the, the fact that it was the shroud, all who have said um, that they thought there were repa repairs in the area. So there was going to be a big um, international conference in Orvieto, Italy in August of 2000. And before we had that idea about that, we hadn't um, planned to attend. But once we got that idea, we said, you know, we got to go to this conference and present the paper. So we did. And, um, you know, several people told us that it was really the hit of the conference. And Barry Schwartz, who was the documenting photographer for STIRP um, and is the editor and publisher of the biggest and best shroud site which is shroud.com if you if your listeners go there they better bring some food and snacks and drinks because they'll you could spend <laughs> the rest of your life there um so barry put it up there and um uh one of the guys on the stirp team whose name was ray rogers he was the chemist uh the head of the chemist uh chemistry aspect of the, of the testing for stirp he had kind of uh, gotten out of shroud research. He he had accepted the 1988 dating results, and um, but he kept up with Barry Sight. And when he saw the the paper on Barry Sight, he kind of he called Barry up and and read him the riot act. Why are you publishing this nonsense? These people are part of the lunatic fringe. I can prove them prove them wrong in five minutes. And Barry oh. says, "Well, well, Ray, go." do what you need to do because <laughs> it was so yeah, fascinating that he was literally he had samples <laughs> from 1978 from the main part of the cloth okay hold, we gotta hold it right there because okay. we gotta get to our next break you guys you are listening to dark becomes light with me heidi hollis on the iHeartRadio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network stick around we'll be right back with more joe marino I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Life with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM paranormal podcast network i have joe marino here who is sharing about honestly probably one of the greatest finds in uh shroud of turin's uh history in uh, not allowing the 1988 uh <laughs> testing to stand and i want you to continue where you left off there joe because it's just fascinating how this came to be yeah so um so ray rogers thought that he could prove our theory wrong because he had samples from the main part of the cloth from 1978 and he had been given at another point some samples that were right next to the c14 sample area so he could compare the two and if they were exactly the same that would show that there was no repair so he got out his microscope and um barry said he he called uh he called Barry back about an hour and a half after he said it would take him five minutes. And he says, I can't believe it. I think they're right. He looked at both samples and he found that the, the um, area in the C14 corner was chemically different than the main part of the shroud. And then later on, he was actually given a leftover sample from the actual C14 piece. And that they had the same, it had the same, characteristics as the you know area next to it which he had previously had so they were different and then he found he found like a dye and he found a splice linen and cotton thread which means that cotton was used to repair that area and they used dye to to make the color look exactly like the original so then that kind of makes sense because a, a big chunk had been big portion of that corner had been taken out for relics. And if, you know, if you have a piece of linen and you have a big piece of it taken out, if you don't repair it or restore it, it unravels. Right. So it, it makes sense that um, 
at least some repair work was done on it to to tidy up the corners and the, where the, where it was cut. And uh, Ray Rogers um, wrote a uh, peer-reviewed scientific article in a high-end uh, chemical journal called Thermochemica Acta in January 2005. And um, he said that the, that that sample in the C14 area was different. And he, he gave some other details that we don't have time to go into now. But basically, he said that the, the C14 sample was not valid for, for being able to determine the the dating of the shroud. So in other words, that 1260 to 1390 date cannot be accepted because there was apparently, um, uh, it was a mixture of first century cloth and uh, 16th century cloth. So that kind of jump-started research uh, to a degree back uh, uh, into the more research again. I mean, people hadn't stopped completely, but that it, it really did give it a boost and, and, you know, it's been full steam ahead. And since then there's been statistical studies that show that the, um, the what the labs did with the data was a little, um, uh, shall we say manipulative. Mm. They didn't, they didn't use all the dates. They threw out the bad dates when they constructed their statistics to come up with a 1260 to 1390 date with supposedly a 95%. Right. Uh, conf- confidence rate. So wow, uh, that's that's wild. I mean, <laughs> all because Sue, your wife, mm-hmm. had a vision, and mm-hmm. and that kind of gets skipped over. Do you find uh, in the research, uh, you know, like you two having brought the attention, yeah, to, to have a look at that, at, at, you know, what you what you discovered, and uh, but they they like the nuts and bolts. They don't mm-hmm. like the, the right. spiritual insight, but. God still talks, everybody, and yeah. <laughs> Jesus is still around. And it's like that is—it's uh, so amazing. And I—I've yeah. I, seen a, a couple of um, uh, shows that has you and, and Sue speaking of your discovery and getting the credit that you deserve, but not getting the opportunity to speak to uh, it having come from a vision. Right. Yeah. Uh, people have, do have problems with that. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things of human nature that some things make us uncomfortable and, and, you know, people that supposedly get spiritual insights or, are are one of them. And so, yeah, people pretty, just pretty much ignore that. It's amazing. You having the background that you, that you do as a, as a monk (laughs) and, and being open to that. I mean, that's that's inspiring right there because uh, I'm a firm believer that you know we we all get guidance and you know it's whether we pay attention to it or not and because she did and you both having the know-how and the understandings of the strata trend that this was something important to pursue and yeah I mean do you find though too that I I have that uh, you know still having to prove to people that the carbon dating was was wrong I mean do you feel oh, like sure cover that up, patch that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, There's tons of still tons of YouTube videos and all sorts of things where people do not want to have an authentic shroud because um, the repercussions of that are scary for them, especially if they're agnostic or or atheists. Um, So they do everything in their power to try to um, disprove it. And nobody has been able to come up with a reasonable explanation of, of how that image got on the cloth. So they just, they give a lot of half truths and falsehoods and continue to try to um, say it's nonsense. That's a shame because uh, it, it is a common uh, discussion, honestly. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't understand. Uh, you know, the erasing, um, uh, Christ having been such a, a huge marker in the history of this planet is is absolutely in motion all the time. I mean, it's uh, BC is no longer before Christ; it's before the Common Era. You know, it's BCE mm-hmm. now. You know, it, it's like 
why do that? And one yeah. of my, my favorite arguments, I would love to uh, tell my friends who, you know, don't believe Jesus is, <laughs> it was a, a big deal. I'm like, oh, what's the, what's the year again? <laughs> mm. You know, we, we marked our calendars, our years to the day of, of him having passed because he was and is a big deal. Yeah. And you probably have noticed, uh, like I have, that it's amazing how, how many videos and articles and, and different sites try to put forth the idea that Jesus never even existed. I mean, they, they that's how far they take it. Um, you know, and that's kind of silly because, I mean, he's he's probably the best attested ancient figure in history. But because of the religious connections, people try to... Um, totally erase him from history and say he, he never existed. But, you know, the main, obviously those are kind of people not in the main, I guess there's a few in the mainstream, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just the world we live in today. People don't want a real shroud and they don't want a real Jesus either. Yeah. It's just uh yeah, it's a, it's a shame, but first, first name out of their mouths when they're in trouble though, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> my goodness, it, you know, where is the, where's the research going now? I mean, you're always updating something. I, I think I got a notice on my phone just now, Joe Marino updated something mm-hmm. on academia.edu. Yeah. I mean, you are constantly working. You're constantly, uh, you know, pulling in new facts and figures. Uh, where are things going now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, people are obviously um, wondering if if n- any new testing will be allowed, uh, whether there'll be another C14 test. Or, I kind of doubt if there'll ever be another C14 test, um, partly because we don't, you know, we haven't worked out all the bugs on, uh, on the old, on that system, on the C14 testing already. And then there's new new dating methods out, and those need a lot of work too. But um, I've heard that uh, even though Pope Francis has a background in chemistry, um, my sources tell me that there'll be no new testing as long as he's Pope. But, you know, he's I think he's, what, 86 or something now? Hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer he'll be around, but um, perhaps the next the next pope will allow testing. But, you know, one of the amazing things about the in my 800 page book is the fact that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, he actually had allowed he had approved rather uh, Sterp to have two weeks with the shroud, including a C-14 test, and a lot of the politics and backstabbings and agendas got in the way, and Sterp was eliminated from not only doing their uh, new test of uh, multidisciplinary wow. aspects, but they weren't even allowed to be uh, involved in the C-14 test, ah. which was part of the reason there was a fiasco there. That's a shame. Well, Joe, we've got to wrap it up. How how can people get a hold of your books, your works? Uh, what's your website? My website is homestead.com slash new vistas. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today. This was really insightful, mm-hmm. inspiring. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. For sure. Now be sure to go to Amazon.com and look for Joseph G. Marino for his 2020 updated new version of his book and his other book. All right, you guys, don't forget to go to HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Tell me what's going on out there in the world. Tell me your thoughts, your questions, your experiences. I don't care. Throw it my way and we will take a look at it and dissect it because every other show, what do we do? We take your emails mm-hmm. and your phone calls uh, if you care to jump on an interview. I'm just joking. You guys never, ever do that. <laughs> so you're welcome. Be sure to follow me on social media at one Heidi Hollis. That is Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, everything but YouTube, which is just Heidi Hollis. All right. And be sure to go to theoutlanderscomic.com for my paranormal comic strip. We have come to the bottom of another fabulous program. You have been listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM. 
Paranormal Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Stay safe, everybody. Goodbye. Well, if you liked this edition of Dark Becomes Light, wait till you hear the next one. You've been listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.